listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tanil. Tanil, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel. Our houses are always Airbnb ready, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Today we chat with world champion, World Cup and Crystal Globe winner, Lara Peel. In less than two weeks, she will represent Australia in aerial skiing at the Beijing Olympics. We discover what it takes to hit a four and a half metre ice wall at 70 k's an hour and then pull off a triple twisting backflip with one twist in each flip. Can you believe it? I can't. She is one cool, calm and focused competitor who loves to dream big and flip on snow. Hello, Laura and Tanil. How are you? Good, Emma. How are you? Good. How's things over in Switzerland, Laura? Yeah, I can't complain. Um, beautiful sunny day today. Got the day off and, yeah, no lockdowns around here. So just a lot of training and, yeah, it's been great. How do you yeah. spend a day off? Oh, well, it's only 9am, so so far I haven't done a whole lot, but, you know, little odd jobs around the house, bit of life admin, bit of relaxing. We went down to the lake yesterday. We have um, Sundays and Mondays off, so, yeah, pretty chill. Good days. Good way to start the week. <laughs> so so we'll just give you a little brief background on who Laura is that was chatting with today. She's um, our a two-world champion medalist back-to-back FIS aerial crystal globe winner which was last year it was your latest winner of that which is incredible and um you're just about to be a third time winter olympian yeah. <laughs> yeah so um so take us back to the beginning how did it all start when you were what what age were you when you got into skiing or you thought about being an olympian yeah, so to have, um, so my entry kind of interview to the OWI to see if I would be accepted into the aerials program was actually on my 19th birthday. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, I was a gymnast and I'm from Canberra and I grew up skiing. My mum absolutely loves to ski. So we'd spend our school holidays and weekends at Perisher in the winter time. And in 2002, when I was about 13 or so, I saw Elisa Camplin, um, win the gold medal for Australia in aerial skiing and that sort of put aerial skiing on the map for me and I was pretty inspired by that but at the time I was really deep into gymnastics and was continuing on that path and and when I retired from gymnastics at 18 the thought of aerial skiing popped back into my head and I'd been approached by Jackie Cooper who's another past aerial skiing champion five-time yeah. crystal winner I think um, five-time oh I didn't know that of Jackie wow huge yeah, so, yeah, Australia has a really rich history of aerial skiing and that put it on the map for me. And with my background in gymnastics and skiing, I thought, you know, the perfect combination. Yeah, so how far did you get in gymnastics? Because to continue to 18, that's a that's the long haul in gymnastics. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just did gymnastics because I absolutely loved it. You know, I didn't have dreams of going to the Olympics. I competed at a national level but never at an international level, but... Yeah, I just love the sport and I had a lot of fun. Sorry, did Jackie Cooper see you on the slopes or something or she saw you at the gymnastics? How did that come together? Yeah, so aerial skiers, a lot of aerial skiers come from acrobatic sports um, and transition into aerials. So I had some Olympic Winter Institute representatives at um, from gymnastics competitions, so she would have seen me on the floor there. That's the thing about gymnastics. So it was It's that fear factor of, like, spinning and landing that you obviously you get over that and then, yeah, just to be able to take that to the snow when I watch the flipping and stuff at the at, at the snow, I just think, oh, you're going to be worried, you're going to hit your head. Yeah. Develop aerial awareness through gymnastics and then you try to take it to snow. Um, for me, I've obviously achieved a much higher level in aerial skiing, but I would say the fear factor is definitely higher in aerial skiing than it was for me in, in gymnastics. But, yeah, very grateful for that aerial awareness that I have when you get into trouble sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Mm. In gymnastics, were you on the floor or were you on the bar or beans? Were you... 
Uh, we did everything. So okay. all four, five's been four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So from 19, then you then you set your Olympic journey or you just sent a journey to be good in Australia? Well, unfortunately, aerial skiing doesn't, um, like, we don't really have any national competitions and we also, like, from the get-go haven't really been able to spend a lot of time in Australia. Um, that's something that will change now with the amazing new water ramp facility that they've built in Brisbane. So I think that's going to be a massive game-changer for the next generation. Um when I started aerials, I was really lucky because I'd grown up skiing, so I already knew how to ski, so I had a bit of a head start and and started on the water ramp um, in Lilydale in Victoria, which I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's um, it's not very posh. <laughs> it's into <laughs> a pond and there's some, you know, leeches in there and all the rest. Um, <laughs> but pretty much from that first camp, I just fell in love with the sport and I mean, I don't think I set lofty goals. I wasn't aiming to be the Olympic champion in my first water ramping camp, but I just loved it and and I just kept going and, and one thing led to the next, really. So when you were in your camp, who was there still in the team? Can't remember. Yeah, Elisa had retired. Yeah. Um, my first camp, we, we trained separately than the World Cup girls, um, but my first camp on snow actually um, the World Cup team was there and I was I was rooming with Lydia and the other development girls and Lydia a couple months later would would go on to win Olympic gold. Um, yeah. Definitely from the very beginning of my career, um, had amazing role models and sort of had an insight into what it might take to be an Olympic champion. And I think that was really when you really started to dream big, when you started to actually do flips on snow and, and feel like you were an aerial skier and, and see yeah, where you could go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So do you have any family? Do you have brothers and sisters? Or? Yeah, I have two older brothers. I'm the youngest of three, born and yeah. raised in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Were they ever um, skiers mm-hmm. or boarders or did, they, did, you, <laughs> did you have to chase them down the slopes or no? <laughs> My oldest brother, he transitioned to snowboarding in his teenage years and then the middle one, um, I was always chasing him on skis. He's naturally a great athlete, but we all just skied recreationally, you know, no competitions. We just we just love to ski and we we're members of a lodge up in Perisher and Jindabyne. So, yeah, yeah, all, all really good memories and it's just for fun. Yeah, yeah, gosh. Do, so- do you got a preference for um, Perisher? Over Threadbow. I spent most of my time. Um, yeah. I haven't actually spent a lot of time in Threadbow. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in the last 10 years, I haven't spent much time at all skiing in Australia. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you kind of don't miss out on much. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> Even if it's not the best snowing. Yeah, so true. So true. So um, tell us about life on the circuit mm. now. Like you, you, so, you're ni- so you're 19, you went on the road at 19? with the team yeah pretty much so 19 I had um just training at that age and then I think I was 21 when I competed in my first world cups um and you know everything was shiny and new and I was probably just overwhelmed the whole time and excited and and just really wanted to get better I wanted to be the best and obviously that's a long road and it's full of ups and downs. Um, it changes over the years. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's been a good life. It's been a good 10 years. Um, How do you keep yeah. motivated through those 10 years, through your ups? Like I noticed in, so you've gone like 2015 gold medal freestyle world. Woo! Yeah, you landed a triple-double somersault, which to me just sounds too much. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and um, then you had an injury. So how, like, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, that was a bit of a rough patch those few years leading up to 2015 and then afterwards. So I have I've had a couple of surgeries on my shoulder and then two on my ankles. So I had wow. one just a bit less than a year before my first Olympics in 2014 on my ankle and then after 2015 I had, had the same ankle done again. Um, so definitely some tough times there and I think in 2015 I was off for 11 months and. I took some time out to sort of assess where I was at and and what I wanted to do and and at that point I realized I was probably too solely focused on simply being an aerial skier and I wanted to sort of broaden my horizons and thing have things outside of the sport so I had a bit less pressure on myself and I went back to the sport with a bit of a different mindset and 
I promised myself that I would I would enjoy it more and, you know, whether the results came or not, like the journey would be enough as quickly as that sounds. And um, Not at all. Then, you know, obviously with that sort of renewed mindset and enjoyment of the sport, the, the results actually kept getting better. Like just going to the mindset, Ash Barty had a big, she just won Wimbledon obviously, and that was her big thing, her mindset changed her whole way of thinking so it's really interesting that you said that do you work with a mindset coach is that was that a thing back in 2015 I've had a sports psychologist from the beginning of my career and um the same one so I work a lot with her um yeah I think for me it was really important just to make sure that I was more than just an aerial skier and I think especially as you get older it becomes more and more important and and having those injuries and knowing you know there is a chance a sport can be taken away from you and and you need to have something outside of that and yeah just more of a balance I think you know no matter what path you go in life you have more than one focus yeah yeah it's so true it's did you get to go and have some free runs down the snow? Did you get to go and enjoy the snow again? I did take a long time away from the snow, obviously with the injury. I was in a big yeah. boot stuff. I wasn't doing a lot of skiing. At that time I I got quite into yoga and I did my yoga teacher training during that time, which was, was oh, really wow. cool. I really did that. Um, but then before I came back to training, I did actually go on a ski holiday with my mum and my brother to like Banff area and just skied for fun. We would wake up and ski in the morning, have lunch and then hike in the afternoon and that was an amazing holiday and, yeah, you kind of, kind of learn where you came from in skiing and that you just did it to enjoy it and, and have fun and be with your friends and your family outside in the fresh air and these beautiful landscapes. Yeah, that's mm. true. It is true. That's what skiing is all, all about, isn't it? It really is a great family holiday if you're not at an Olympic level, if you're just down at my level. <laughs> <laughs> Love a ski holiday. <laughs> I wonder um, when you're back when you were 19 and just talking about mindset and um, where you are today in the, those 10 years, did you have to change where well, you mentioned that yoga and, you know, so much of, you know, all that it's not just physical as we know, but did you start mm-hmm. out in the beginning with a different mindset training to where you have now? Do you have different influences back then for your mindset? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, no matter what, obviously we will change a lot over the course of 10, 12 years. Um, when I first started, I was so focused solely on aerials. I just wanted to get better every single day and I put a lot of pressure on myself. And mm-hmm. I think I was more aware of, you know, the mistakes I was making and the things that I needed to change and be better. And now, you know, I can focus, even though I want to change things and do things differently, I can I can recognise the things that I'm good at and, um, yeah, the qualities that I do have and not only the things that, that need to change and get better. Yeah. I think that comes with maturity of age, like a young kid. How would you explain that to a young girl sitting here listening to this now? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, you've got to meet people where they're at. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. change over time. It, it can't happen overnight. And if you would have told me what I'm saying now when I was, was mm. 21, you know, I wouldn't have listened anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, so true. it's true, isn't it? Like you've got to go through that and learn your own um you know go on your own journey and learn your own lessons and you you sound very it you sound very philosophical now which is quite amazing <laughs> given that you're about to go to the olympics it's an amazing added perspective that you can add to your preparation yeah yeah it's definitely been helpful for me where do you put the olympics at amongst your world championship where does the olympics sit i think the olympics is you know the pinnacle of all sports yeah um, well, it's when people really tune in and, you know, whether yeah. something's different or not, you know, the, the competitors aren't different, the jump site's not different, the judges aren't different, the format's not different, but um, it's when the world really tunes in and it's when everybody wants to perform. Um, yeah. And no difference. Of course, I would love to add an Olympic gold medal to the collection. <laughs> Very calm. I'd be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> In aerial skiing, there's three main things that you can get. Yeah. The Crystal Globes, World Championships and, and the Olympic Games. So I've got two out of the three and, yeah, I'd love to complete the collection. 
It is. It is true. I find, um, you know, in the lead up to the well, the Summer Olympics coming up, but the Woolworths and all the supermarkets start putting out all their little cards for the collectors for the, and I start getting all like, okay, we've got to, we've got to learn about all the athletes' kids. You know, we've got to know their names because that's part of growing mm-hmm. up. When you think yeah. about your upbringing, is to know which athletes are coming up in the in the upcoming Olympic Games, and it's yeah, it's part yeah. of fun. So, yeah. Because we are, especially Winter Olympics, like our women mm-hmm. have been at the top for so long. Credit to the, our women in this sport. Determination. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, the women that have come before me have been absolutely incredible and hasn't always been easy and spent most of their life on the road, but very determined, resilient people who have um, yeah, really reached the top of their sport and often without Australia looking on, I guess, and and celebrating them as much as maybe they should have, I think. Yeah. How do you feel with the sort of compared to the men? Do you feel from inside the camp there, inside the circle of where you're at, do you feel like it is quite equal with the men or would you like to see the women still have a little bit like we've, we've got a bit of work to do with the women getting their time in the sun like the men? I think in in my sport, if I solely look at aerial skiing, you know, Australia really has a rich history in women's aerial skiing. Obviously, we have Dave Morris as well, who got silver medal at the Sochi Olympics and and he's coached now and a good friend of mine. But, yeah, we have a really strong history in women's aerial skiing. Um, yeah. And since I've started the sport, you know, there's been equal prize money for men and women in the sport. Um so I do, I do feel on an even playing field being a member of the Australian aerial ski team. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily reach out to all sports, but I think in my sport I'm quite lucky. Yeah, so um, your sponsors, Carbon and XTM, are they uh, there with you? I've had, you know, Carbon and XTM pretty much since the, the beginning of my career. They're sponsors of the Olympic Winter Institute. So as soon as I was on scholarship with the OWI, um, I had them as supporters and, yeah, two amazing companies was able to go down to Torquay and and hang out at the headquarters of XTM a couple of months ago when I was in Australia and just a really cool team of people and, you know, they're really focused on sustainability and the environment at the moment, which is an exciting way to go and I think that obviously it's important to all people but something especially noticeable when you hang out in in the ski fields quite a bit. Um yeah. yeah, so two really great companies that I'm proud to be a part of for sure. When you're on your lead up to the Olympics, as you are now, which is kind mm. of exciting. Yeah. What's your, what's your schedule now? You're obviously in Switzerland. When do you mm-hmm. are you hitting the snow at the moment in the glaciers? Or? No, so we're one of the few summer sports that actually oh, winter sports, sorry, that actually gets a summer, which is um, quite cool. So we train on the water ramps from May through to October. Um, and then early October, we'll head to snow for the first time. Okay. So, yeah, now we do sort of um, five days on, then we have Sundays and Mondays off. And, yeah, we do water ramp training, gym training. We have a physio over here that helps us recover, mental training. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nutritionist, do you have a? Yeah, yeah, we have great diet. You have the Swiss chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> How much chocolate? <laughs> you know, I think chocolate is the only thing that's sort of reasonably priced in Switzerland as well. So yeah, yeah. you forget about that. The Aussie dollar. That um the new facility in Brisbane that's just been built, that looks incredible, actually. That that'll change your life. Will it will it change your schedule coming back being around in Australia longer or you it won't you'll still go to Switzerland? Well, up until these Olympics, I'll, I'll be in Europe now until until the Olympics. Um, obviously, the facility is incredible and I think it's going to be a massive game changer for the future generations. But yeah. a couple of years ago, I started um, training with the Swiss coach. So for me, it's really important to be with him. And I was able to start my summer training um, in Brisbane and it was amazing to do, you know, jumps that I compete as the first time I've ever done them in Australia. So um, that was pretty cool after being in the sport for 12 years now. Yeah. Is your family, family still based in Canberra? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's still in Canberra within sort of 10, 15 minutes of each other. So Yeah, yeah. so that'll make, like, I mean, going up to Brisbane is a lot easier for you or for them as well to see your family. Yeah, 
yeah, I guess yeah. we talked about balance a bit before and now I feel like um, the Australian athletes are going to be able to have more of a of a normal life. You know, they can they can go to university, they can get jobs. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be totally different and also hopefully um, we'll see people being able to start in the sport younger and then, and then stay in the sport a bit longer as well, I hope. Yeah, wow. Is there, I mean, how... Do, how excuse my ignorance but how can people hold down jobs when they're at such a level as as yours yeah well I guess some people will choose to and 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 some people won't and some people won't have a choice and they'll they'll have to um um but you know well days off evenings I guess you know it's it's not easy but um a lot of Olympians yeah. do it, you know. It's we don't all make the kind of money that some of these professional sports do. So yeah, unfortunately, sometimes it's not really an option. Yeah, I I did hear the um couple of the Wallaroo um ladies talk to um a lot of the rugby parents, and they were talking about um that they had to get up in the dark and drive and train and then go to work five days mm-hmm. a week and thought oh that's tough that's just yeah I I went I went about maybe five six years ago now I went to hear Alyssa Camplin speak about her Mm -hmm. life and that was really interesting of how she knew that the guy that set the course loved the Canadian girls so she'd make sure that she put herself behind the Canadian girl because the course was always the landing was always set perfectly for the Canadian (laughs) (laughs) do you have any of those tricks that you do now um, well, you know, my coach prepares the landing very well for me, so um, <laughs> I don't have to worry about too much where I am in the order. Um, <laughs> the thing I love about, like, my sport is it's quite a small sport um, yeah. and it's also, you know, it's a scary sport and we're all up there and we all, you know, recognise that there's fear and, and we're all friends and, yeah, we are competitors, but... For the most part, you're also encouraging other people and, and you celebrate other people when they do, you know, something new or mm. something amazing. Yeah, we all celebrate it. So that's something that's really cool in our sport. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah this- so when you're at the top of the hill getting back up there mm-hmm. and you're about to go, what, what's your motions? What, do you run through your head? Do you, What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I give myself um, cues that I need to remember for my takeoff. Um, I'm definitely someone that likes to sort of calm myself down and, and bring it down a couple of notches um, before I jump. And I guess the goal is just to really think of the the process, you know, no matter what the weather's doing, no matter if it's a competition jump or a training jump. Um, of course, easier said than done, but that is always the goal, yeah. step by step. <laughs> do you do a lot of visualisation? Yeah, yeah, we do a lot of visualisation. Um, I think a large part of our sport is mental, so that's that's a huge part of our training. And there's only so many jumps that, you know, one that your body can take and sometimes also that the weather allows. Sometimes we'll show up to events and we're supposed to have three days of training and we only get one day in. Um, mm. So mental training is something that we use a lot and, and helps a lot too. So, um, at what part of your jump do you know that you've nailed it? Is it in the? Is it right at the start when you do your first moves, or in the air? Like when as can you, as soon as you leave the kicker? Yeah, um, you definitely know if it's gone wrong at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've done it well, obviously, then the next thing just becomes the actual jump, and then of course you have to land. Um, so definitely don't want to celebrate really before you're at the bottom and have skied away. Um, yeah. But for me, like coming off the jump, that takeoff is really sort of my main focus all of the time. And I feel like if I hit that, then I can be a little bit more on autopilot because obviously we've trained these jumps a lot of times on the water ramps and things. Mm. So have you, you've, you're mentally lining it up. Have you got the same spot each time? Even when the location where you're training or the comp, wherever it's different, you've got sort of like you line it up beforehand, exactly the yeah, same spot. Everything obviously looks a little bit different everywhere you are. Um, feel, feel is a big part of the sport. Um, but, yeah, no matter where I am, what jump I'm going off, you know, I have the same cues as I'm skiing in. Um, the jumps are all a little bit different, but in theory they should all be more or less the same um 
so yeah it's just the same cues and you spend the first couple of jumps just getting used to the side and and working out if things look a little bit different if the landing's a little bit steeper if the transition before the jumps a little bit longer or a little bit shorter you know you have that time in training hopefully to to work those things out and adjust and you know that's also part of being a good athlete it's not only who can do the best jump in the perfect conditions it's managing all the conditions and and being able to make it work for you Mm. do you think being in Australian helps with that because we do manage all our conditions from a young age (laughs) like wind (laughs) I think we ski in the worst conditions in the world (laughs) yeah I mean there's tough conditions everywhere I don't know yeah Um, I think you just got to be adaptable and you know, not get caught up or frustrated with the wind. Just that's so true. Except make the most of is, it. Is it harder to compete in wind or when it's snowing, like when it's actually coming down? If the snow is too heavy, it's like really, really hard because, as you can imagine, as the snow starts to fall, you just your speed decreases and decreases. And if you've got a lot of people constantly going, sort of clearing the snow, that's okay. Um, if there's fewer people, you more or less can't jump because at one point the in-run runs out and, and you just can't get the speed. Um, mm-hmm. Wind is manageable to a certain level, um, but mentally wind can be really tough. You know, you're stepping up, so starting a little bit higher to give yourself more speed or you're stepping down to to slow down depending which way the wind is blowing and you can have to move a couple of times before you turn and yeah, then that makes it hard to really trust your speed and, and trust your takeoff. So it can be really mentally draining when it's windy out there. Mm. So when do you decide that you're going to go, okay, I'm ready, I'm going to try a triple somersault? <laughs> like that yeah. is incredible. How long does it take you to get to mentally prepare and go, "My, I'm ready for this? Yeah, well, I did my first triple somersault on snow at the end of, of 2019 um, and that was a massive day in my career um but I think yeah you know it's always going to be scary you're always going to be afraid you know if it's the first one if it's the 20th one you know there's still going to be that fear there um like I said we do a lot of mental training so you learn how to manage it and um yeah, yeah. I mean it's ex- it's something that you it's something that I want to do I um, love that so, yeah I would have thought so the fear is there every time it doesn't you don't ever get on top of it or do you harness it and use it? Yeah, I mean, of course, sometimes you have good days and, and you don't notice it too much and sometimes you have tough days and and sometimes yeah. you feel like you've cracked it and then the wind starts blowing and there it is creeping up again or, you know, sometimes you've been on a roll and then you have a big crash and there it is again or you see mm. somebody else do something crazy. So yeah. I think it's constantly part of the sport, you know, you're skiing into more or less a four and a half meter wall of ice at up to 70 kilometers an hour um yeah that isn't that is fear in itself for me like <laughs> sometimes I get a little bit too much air and I go oh my god what <laughs> I can't even imagine taking off at 70ks and going right but that is exciting that's like only a certain amount of people in the world can do that so it's yeah it is yeah I mean it's it is empowering you know learning to harness mm. that yeah yeah. And to really trust yourself because that's what it comes down to, you know, believing that you are capable of doing it. So is there more tricks that you can do on top of that? What what do you just have to keep getting better? Do you feel like you have to keep getting better to win the next level, like an Olympic? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to keep getting better. I think the day that that stops is probably the day that I'm I'm done in the sport. Um, yeah. So my hardest trick is a full, 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 which is a triple twisting backflip with one twist in each flip. Um, Let me just visualise that. Say Say that again. (laughs) So it's three backflips with a single twist in each flip. So three flips, three twists. Wow. Yeah. It's ever been done by a woman on snow is a quadruple twisting triple backflip. So first flip, single twist, second flip, double twist, third flip, single twist. Um, so there's been two women that have ever done that. One is our own Lydia Lassala. Wow. Yeah, and now the men are more and more frequently doing three flips with five twists. Um, so what's me? Sorry, my facial expressions. I'm glad we're not recording this, like, video because I'm just like, wow. 
Um, mm-hmm. What speed do you need to hit the jump at to do this? Yeah, so if you're doing three straight flips, whether you twist or not, um, mm-hmm. you probably need a similar kind of speed um, to whether you're adding twists in. Okay. Uh, so that's going to be depending on the jump side, depending on the wind, everything, somewhere between probably 60 and 70 k's an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm teaching my daughter. She's a P plater to drive at the moment and 60 k's feels really fast. <laughs> so I can't even imagine this. You're way too slow. But, um, <laughs> and what are, what are you wearing? Like, are you just wearing, like, what are you wearing when you do it? Like, you've got your helmet, how many layers underneath? How padded are you? Do you have padded knees? Do you have extra padding? Um, yeah, aerial skiers are known to be the, the best dressed out there on the slopes in our nice one pieces. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we wear a one-piece ski suit and then the, I personally wear a lot more thermals than some other people do, but um, no, certainly doesn't feel like a lot of padding if you slap back on the landing hill. Um, but yeah, helmet, we wear glasses because goggles can can block your vision a little bit if you're, say, looking straight down or looking to the side or something. Helmet and then, yeah. And so you don't have little padded, like, elbows? No. I've seen some athletes wear a bit of, like, a back protection. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, no. When, when do you get issued your uniform for the um, Olympics? It'll be right before, I think. So I'm oh. not sure if it's like a couple of weeks before or maybe after that we arrive in the village. But it'll be more or less the same as what we have now with, you know, some different colours or, or different badges and stuff on there. So Going back to another award that you want, where is your crystal globes at the moment? Where do you keep that? <laughs> Yeah, at home in Canberra, safe and sound. Do you get to go yeah. home before the Olympics, before the Winter Olympics or no? No. So I came over to Switzerland in beginning of June, I think. So it'll be um, a 10-month stint on the road. Last year I did nine months, which was the longest, but obviously COVID's changed a lot of things. So, yeah, yeah. quite a while away. Do you get to have any family with you, like a parent? With you, company or no, no, in Australia with the quarantine and everything, it's pretty impossible. Um, this year I have some teammates with me, which is lovely because I was more or less all alone for over six months. Gosh, Um, that is difficult. So, Mm. yeah, nice to have the gals around this time. Mm. Yeah, are they are they on the Australian team or do you like with other teams? Yeah, on the Australian other country. Team. Sorry. Yeah, well, I, I did have the the Swiss athletes last year that I trained alongside, but um, yeah, nice to have some Aussie girls living together with um, Abby Wilcox and and oh, yeah. Gabby, who have both competed in the World Cup. Yeah, um, yeah, for yeah, the Olympics. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, it's good. You guys can all work it together and team up and get your mind in the right area, I guess. And and do you, are you allowed to take your Swiss coach with you to the Australian Olympics? Is that is that how it can work, or do you have to work with the Australian coaches? Sorry, is that a no? Yeah, I mean, he will absolutely be there. He'll be wearing a Swiss uniform, but he will mm. still be coaching me. And um, yeah, yeah, we have a really great working relationship, and. Yeah, he's helped me to get the best out of myself. So I really love jumping with him. Yeah, yeah, I love that. You'd hate to change it for an Olympics, really. That would be awful if you had to do that. Definitely not ideal. So no, yeah. yeah. We've got um David Morris over here too, and they work like a bit of a partnership together and the Swiss and Aussie team. We all we all train together and and feed off each other. So yeah, it's a really good setup that we have. Yeah. So will you be with all, you won't just be with the aerial skis, you'll be with the whole Australian team where they put you in an area together, like the winter team, like the borders and that'll be. Yeah, usually. I mean, I yeah. guess the Olympics could be a little bit different this time. Uh, Not yeah. What to expect. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, last year we had all the all the freestyle disciplines um, in a house together and, um, yeah, I mean, the Olympics is amazing and that's another cool thing about being on the Australian team. It is quite a small team, so you sort of get to know people from other sports and you go along and, and cheer them on in their events and, yeah, it's the Olympics is definitely something that's very special for all athletes, I think. Yeah. Was it special when you and Matt Graham got to stand together and, like, that was a 
one and only time for it. Well, not one and only, for first time for Australians to hold up their crystal globes together. Was that how explain that moment? <laughs> I was I was already on the plane on my oh. way back to Australia. <laughs> I can't remember if it was the next day or two days after the aerial event. So um didn't actually watch him hold it up, but yeah, really exciting, really cool for him to see him do that. Obviously, he's an amazing skier. He's had a lot of its success, and I'm I'm sure he's been eyeing that crystal globe off for a few seasons now. So really cool to see him with that. Yeah. Did you guys catch up at the um Snow Australia Awards? We won third time. That's really amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it is amazing with like Australian snow sports. Is not the hugest group of people, and the the success that the athletes have is is amazing. And it's always cool to go to the awards, and more or less everyone is there. And um, yeah, yeah it's inspiring to see what what people do and what us Aussies are capable of. Not being from a traditional mm. winter country, yeah, we are so capable of everything. I believe. Are you? Do you plan to get involved in the Olympic team and the progression of um, younger athletes? towards the end of your career or after your career? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see myself totally just stepping away entirely from the sport when I retire. Um, so That's I a long way away, mind you. Sorry, I don't mean to put you down <laughs> Yeah, I was actually wondering that, like, I guess, can do you have to mentally just say as far as the Olympics and just leave it at, at that, just really focus on the Olympics at this stage? You sort of, like, can't think beyond that. Is yeah, that, I think that, every yeah. year kind of focus on the season ahead and obviously, you know, you have different goals um, throughout the season. So obviously the Olympics is a big one in this upcoming season. And, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't made any decisions or, and I try not to think too much about it, but it's just more or less going to be, you know, how I feel, how my body's going and, yeah, yeah. make those decisions later. We're just going to ask you about the Female Performance Health Initiative. We, we both watched the webinar and we thought that was fantastic. And um, I, do you want to just explain a little bit about that, that you're involved in the initial um, part of that? Yeah, so I was part of um, a group of a few female athletes that was in the focus group um, and it was discussing sort of um, issues related to women's health and, and performance in sport and where athletes and and just thought um, would be good, what would be good areas to focus on and would be beneficial for athletes. Um, so as a female athlete in sport, it's, it's um, I think it's pretty exciting for us that this is sort of being raised as an issue and female athletes are being treated, you know, as female athletes, not necessarily as just sort of smaller male athletes. And there's some attention and research going into those areas so I think at this stage there's still there's still a lot to be done there's still a lot that we don't know um but I think it's it's really exciting for athletes now and for upcoming athletes that that there is a lot of attention and, and research going to those areas which down the line will hopefully be be very beneficial I've got to yeah. say I was actually a bit surprised because I I thought oh aren't we there already aren't we aren't we all about women's issues and equality and women's health and I I, I didn't realise there was more work to be done if you know what I mean I think it's fantastic you can't do enough I guess mm-hmm. but I really I did realise that there was still kind of um yeah more more to be done at that at that yeah, elite level most of the research done in sports um is all done on male athletes and obviously that doesn't transfer perfectly across to female athletes. Um, so there is still definitely a lot to be done. There's a lot more that we can learn. Um, but now, yeah. you know, I think it's a, I think it's a good conversation to have with young kids because some of them just cop out and go, oh, I can't do it. I've got my, you know, I'm yeah. tired or something. But if, you, if we can educate them. Yeah, and let's work out. Let's make it a conversation that doesn't need to be taboo. Um, important what the doctor said uh, during that female health and performance webinar, um, that we don't want to create more reasons for females not to participate, you know, that if you're more likely of injury at this point in your cycle or if, you know, yeah. 
you know, you're stronger at this point in your cycle. We don't want to, and obviously you can't choose the day of the Olympics. So no matter where you're at, that's the time wow. that you need to perform. So it's important yeah. not to create more barriers. Um, yeah. yeah. So we don't want to do that. But I think, you know, the more information and the more that we know, um, the more beneficial it's going to be for athletes, for female athletes. Definitely. Yeah. It will help more than hinder. Like you being the voice of that at the start was really incredible. I think they chose a good athlete to have a conversation mm-hmm. with, considering you're at the top of our Winter Olympians, which is amazing. Do you, do you see yourself as the top of our Australian women Olympic team going into the 200 or you don't want to, like 200 days in or you don't want to think about that? That's too much pressure. I mean, I think that we have amazing women and men as well in our Olympic team and you know, I, I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm, I'm proud of my performances to date, but I, I don't want to get complacent. I know that there's amazing athletes. Everyone dreams of Olympic glory and it's something that pushes people to work harder. Um, and, of course, I would I would love to be on top of that podium in aerial skiing and then I would absolutely love to see more Australian men and women on the top of that podium in their sport. Um, yeah. So, uh, I just want to know at that point, like, on your day off, do you? How often is it that you have a sleep in, watch Netflix all day, and just eat Swiss chocolate? It's <laughs> <laughs> not to eat Swiss chocolate all day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely, I mean, as an athlete, something that you do have is a is a lot of downtime, and and sometimes you struggle with thinking, you know, I need to use that time productively. But it's almost like you have the time physically but you're just mentally exhausted you know mm-hmm. from your day training from your week and at the moment the training is the priority and and yeah you need to take that downtime to to refresh for the next week and definitely don't always get the balance perfect and um yeah I mean you know sometimes it's hard to relax and sometimes it's hard to do something so mm. it's about yeah kind of managing that I guess mm. Yeah, I, I did read that you do like yeah. um, ultimate frisbee. Is that something that's still? <laughs> Where that came from? You know, we used to play a lot of frisbee um, for our cardio workouts when I was a development athlete. Um, but that must have been like I don't know. I don't think I've picked up a frisbee in like six years. But you're oh. not the first person to ask me that. <laughs> Too funny. It must have stood out. <laughs> I, I have to tell you that it stood out because we're in lockdown at the moment and we're only allowed in the park. And the park has got these frisbee golf at the moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was having some tips, but obviously not. <laughs> what 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 do you do when it's your day off? I know you sort of said you do a bit of admin and um, you know whatever you need to do. But is there anything fun that you do? Yeah, I mean, yesterday I went with a few teammates down to the lake and we actually rented one of those um, paddle boats. Oh. Um, we just got an ice cream and paddled around the lake. Um, That's nice. The- yeah, so yesterday was the first day of sun for about a week. So, Wow. Yeah. So what are the daylight hours in Switzerland? Are they not as bad as Finland, obviously, when you, when you were up there? Yeah, well, I mean, it's summer now, so long, you know. Yeah. Thirty to nine thirty, or something like that. So, yeah, plenty of daylight. Yeah, um, which is what you kind of need because your winter is, you know, it's dark by three in the afternoon and like not light till seven thirty yeah. in the morning. We're in Finland in in November, which is creeping up, and yeah, that's okay. two hours of daylight, three hours of daylight, and you know, that's not if it's not that's if it's not overcast and the sun actually pops out. What's the? I was going to ask you, what's the drug testing process like? How do they do it as you approach the Olympics? Is it sort of every week or how do how do they test it, start testing everyone? Yeah, so I've been part of the FIS testing pool for, for a long time and I, I recently was removed from the FIS testing pool but put on the um, Australian testing pool and um, we have this system where you have to provide your whereabouts every day and you have to provide one hour in each day where you'll be at a certain location and free to be tested if they if they show up. And mm. if they show up and you're not there, um, you get a strike and you can have three strikes and then three strikes and it's treated, um, you know, as if you failed a test. Wow. So, so what's the difference between the FIS and the Australian? Nothing really. Okay. Um, practically for me, it makes no difference. It's just who organises mm. the test. 
testing. Um, and then, of course, we can be tested at events. Um, so it can be tested inside competition, outside of competition, and um, with no prior notice, really. So and is it, is, it, um, is it urine test? or It can be urine test or blood test. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, is it is in my? Sorry, I don't know much about the. Is there a lot of performance drugs in winter sport? Um, well, it's summer, yeah, a lot of sports. Yeah, um, in aerial skiing, it's not. I in my career, I've I've never known anybody to fail a drug test. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, good to know. Good clean sport. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow so yeah, interesting how isn't it like I mean like how do you I guess you just got to reliably say 5 p.m I'm always here is that right like or yeah I think mean, of I a time put, when you're always here. yeah I usually yeah. put my time slot in the morning because um yeah I figure I'll I'll be at home <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah not too many changes of plans yeah. at six in the morning but you know if there are changes of plans you know if you decide to stay at a friend's house or, or whatever happens um yeah you just got to be on top of it and make sure that you update that location mm. do, you, do you ever do you ever let loose and have a drink a party or do you can you is alcohol part of your world or not at all um you- i don't i don't drink very often yeah um, yeah i like Every now and again, there's a time and a place, you know. But yeah, sorry, these are personal <laughs> questions, aren't they? Sorry. <laughs> it's like our younger, our younger listeners who were 16 were like, a lesson to your children. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, we were talking the other day about um, uh, Tanil always um, gives her daughter daughter's life lessons, isn't it, Tanil? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a 16 year old and a 13 year old. So, okay, so nice. when yeah. she asked you that question, I was picturing this as a life lesson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know, six months out from the Olympics is um, certainly the time we're going out and partying takes very much a back seat. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you've been working your whole life to it. Why would you waste it on alcohol? Um, how does it feel when you're standing on the podium and the Australian anthem is going? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels incredible. Um, I think it varies probably depending on the event. Um, for example, when I won the World Championships earlier this year, that's definitely the highlight of my career to date. You know, it was um, yeah. the highest yeah. trick that I've done, only the second time I competed it, and it was also the highest degree of difficulty in the competition. Um and at a major event so definitely something that I was very proud of but I think it, yeah you know it's a combination of pride and relief even yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was um, I was wondering if you felt relieved or just that feeling of it's it's done or um what else do you feel I mean it's just I guess I think one of the feelings that I dislike the most is is a sort of disappointment when you feel like you've fallen short and you you know that you could have done better and you're just at the bottom just wishing that you had one more chance um that's definitely one of the Uh, feelings I hate the most so it's yeah I think mostly you know it that drives you and it's happiness that that you've done what you know that you're capable of but there is also a sense of relief that you know you don't have to wonder what if and what you should have done differently and yeah, you don't have to wait till the next time. <laughs> yeah, and you can make that phone call to mum. Mum, I won. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I met knows long before me. I, you know, I get <laughs> off the hill or out of doping control or whatever, and oh yeah, yeah it's blown up. And it's always uh, my mum and her friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, she she won't even get to go to Beijing yet. We'll see, I guess. We don't know what the rules are just yet. But last year with COVID. It was my was it 10th season or so on World Cup and it's the first time that she ever has not watched at least one competition of the oh. season. Um, so she's had a good run, but unfortunately COVID messed that up for her. So I think she's hoping to be at the Games, but we'll see what the regulations are. Fingers crossed. Yeah. that's It's just so amazing to hear all your um, your hard work in the approach to the Olympics. It's Yeah, it's incredible just to hear about your mindset and it's quite amazing. Like just don't know if I could do it. <laughs> really deserve everything you get yeah it's uh, so how many races do you have this is kind of leading up to finishing up with you how many times do you get to compete before the main event 
So we have our first World Cup early December um, and we'll have a couple in December. But let's say we have about five or six World Cups probably um, before the Olympics, um, which I guess this year is really important because they all count as, as qualifying events to the Games. So, yeah, everyone's going to be be pushing and working for those results. Um, mm. Our sports are interesting because our World Cup format is not the same as the Olympic format. So the only time we get to actually practice the Olympic format is at the World Championships. Oh, yeah. So how many World Championships have you got before you get there? Zero. Um, yeah, event. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, that was what you won. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, it's it's difficult actually to understand like as a, yeah. It's it's a, World Cups and then the World Championships and knowing what what. Thank you for speaking with us today. It's been an absolute thrill, honestly. It's just to learn how much commitment has to go into driving you to these World Cups, World Championships and an Olympic qualifier. So kind of in our wrap-up, we just ask um, what favourite place is to ski in the world. Mm, Good question. You know, aerial skiing can be a little bit of a bummer in a lot of places we compete don't necessarily necessarily have to have good skiing um for example on like scaffolding events in downtown moscow which is absolutely amazing but you know not somewhere for recreational skiing um we spent a lot of time in northern finland and it's not the best skiing but it is one of the most beautiful places i've ever seen and you're lucky enough to get the chance to see the northern lights and it's Mm. definitely a wonderland so I, i do love it there yeah, it's more of a spectacle, isn't it? Like I didn't realise they were, I, I thought in Russia, I thought you were actually in the mountains. I didn't know that they did scaffolding. In the yeah, middle. I mean, it can be either. So, yeah, we have a scaffolding event in Moscow. We've had a scaffolding event before in the Bird's Nest Stadium in Beijing. Um, wow. So, and then, yeah, sometimes we have them on amazing ski mountains like Deer Valley, Utah. So, yeah, it's a combo. I, I worked at Deer Valley. Mm-hmm. I love Deer Valley. Do you have a yeah. fan base? Do you have a fan base that follow you? around all your events do they have you got a club have you got like <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly not, not that don't follow me to um every event um you know I think my mum will always probably be my number one fan um and she's watched me <laughs> a lot of times mm. yeah that's awesome thanks so much for today for teaching yeah, us about the process of what it takes to actually stand on that podium and hold up your much deserved medal yeah fantastic globes awards yeah, yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tanil. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.